Welcome to building a hundred million pound business in public. Four years ago, I was having lunch with my friend Logan when we half joked about racing to a hundred million. And it's always stayed in my head. What does it take to build a hundred million pound business? On this podcast, I ask my network and speak to VCs, founders, DNI specialists, marketeers, and more to share their top tips. Some have made it, some are on the way, and all have a story to tell. Delighted to welcome Brandon to the podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me. No worries. And so we first met when you were doing Talent Rover, which you eventually sold, uh, and now you're doing Place Technology, which just just was put as the top 21 companies to watch in 2021. Yeah, we've got some uh, we've got some exciting things we're working on, and it's kind of funny because Talent Rover was a great experience. I got to make great friends around the world, including yourself, and it was the genesis for everything we're doing at Place. But uh, it was quite the journey. Yeah, because that when did that start? That must have been sort of in the 2000s. Yeah, so I started building the software in 2009, uh, but we didn't incorporate the business until the very end of 2011. And then, you know, the first couple of years, we were just trying to figure out how to run a software company because me and my co-founder had never run it or even been in software. We both, my background was in financial services and then I was in recruiting, um, which is where I got the idea to create a better software for recruiting. And then a couple of years in, it started to click and then we were just kind of on fire with opening offices around the world, um, selling to the biggest players in our space and, and doing really well with that. And then uh, eventually we sold the business in uh, March of 2018. For, for someone that didn't know how to run a software business, you did a pretty good job. I mean, you went, one of the <laughs> people I know have done a really great job in sort of building a business that quickly. We had, um, we had a lot of good advisors um, that really helped and surrounded ourselves with people that really understood a new software. Like one of my long-time advisors and friends and investors, a guy named Mike Lehman, he was the uh, CFO of Sun Microsystems for 20-something years. And then he was the CFO of like Arista Networks and Palo Alto Networks. So him, along with a lot of other people, gave us guidance and direction and helped us get there. Um, but then it was a lot of hard work and, and really focusing on doing what we said we were going to do for customers and, and ultimately uh, and owning those promises and paying attention to our numbers and when we got there. Mm. And so not only have you done it once, it feels like you're now going to go and do it again. That's, that's what we're hoping for. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's, uh, it's, it's oddly a little bit easier the second time around from, a, from an understanding standpoint of knowing what worked and more importantly, knowing what didn't work. Um, in a lot of different ways, both just running the business, but, you know, Talent Rover was built on the Salesforce platform, Place is built on the Salesforce platform. So we really understood how to develop good software on, on that platform. Um, but it's still not easy. I mean, it's still a completely different business, different use case, different buyer, different industry. Um, but we're having a lot of fun and it's, it's good to get some of the early like recognition that we're getting, uh, cause it is, uh, Building any business can be brutal most days. So you look for those little glimmers of hope and, and encouragement to keep you going and keep you <laughs> excited. So before I, before I jump into the, the top tip section then, so what just perhaps you give us a brief background to what Place is. Because Talent Rover was obviously this, this great software that was a CRM for recruitment companies, which was then bought by Bullhorn. What's, what's Place? Yeah, so and, and Talent River led the place, right? So Talent River was more of like a, an operating system for recruitment companies. So we managed the, the sales recruitment and then the whole back office functionality. And then we did uh, integrations with accounting systems and payroll systems. 
with Tyler Rover, though, we had a bit of an interesting story where, you know, we raised about $28 million for that business, uh, but we did it in a very non-traditional way where 25 million of that came from angel investors. And to raise that kind of capital from angel investors, you really need to do two things well. And I think for raising from any type of investor, you need to do these two things well. One is you have to execute. And, you know, we had some terrible quarters, but we also had some pretty amazing quarters. Towards the end, we were growing 3,000% year over year, and Inc. Magazine actually rated us as the ninth fastest growing software company in America in 2017. So lots of good stuff were happening as well. But you know, the other side of it is then the financial piece of being able to understand your finances, both for your profit and loss and your balance sheet and, and those things. But more importantly for us, and I think more importantly for a lot of high growth, smaller companies is understanding cash flow and how does it work and why does it work the way that it does and really being able to predict. So um, I developed a whole series of models that we used to run the business and we used it from everything from pricing to, you know, Talent Rover, we were actually in eight different countries. So we used it to model out, you know, what's it like to set up operations in Hong Kong or in Tokyo or wherever. Um, and then being able to quantify that from a cash need. Um, I remember we were, we were, in the midst of trying to win the global of Deco deal, which we ended up winning, but it was kind of terrifying because we had 45 employees at the time and we were trying to sell to a 33,000 employee company and be really their operating system for the front end. So, you know, it was exciting that they were looking at us and, you know, it was definitely a, a big factor was we were built on Salesforce, which gave them a lot of confidence in the security and the reliability of the platform. Um, and the fact that we came out of staffing uh, checked a lot of boxes, but the, the risk was if we win this deal, can we actually execute? Can we actually deliver? Because going through the effort of winning, it's great. But if you can't actually deliver and they can't use it successfully, it's all for naught. So actually going back and going to the investors and talking about, hey, here's, here's how much it's going to cost us to scale the business, to be able to support this massive opportunity and using these models and all of that to actually justify what I was thinking and how I was going to do this, what the operating plan was and all of that. And Ultimately, the investors agreed. We decided to go big, and it was the best thing we did because that was really the catalyst for us to win you know, relationships with other billion-dollar staffing firms as well, which just took the company into a, a different hemisphere and ultimately led to us getting acquired. But it was building these models, managing these models that I think was a key part of it. And I look back at the team, and you know, we were spending probably 100 hours a month um, in the accounting side of our business, just keeping up with the models. And then me... I was literally on a plane for two weeks a month. I was often over to see you in London quite a bit. That's where I spent most of my time outside the United States. And I would still spend 20 to 30 hours of my personal time a month working in these spreadsheets because we just knew the value. But it was painful. They were error prone um, and mm. just time consuming in general. So when the acquisition happened with Bullhorn, you know, I negotiated out that I could leave whenever I wanted to leave. Um, and did shortly after the, the deal was done. And I started doing some consulting work. I was about 39 when, when Talent River sold. So I'm like, okay, I'm too young to do nothing, but I have no idea actually what I want to do now. Um, and I also didn't want to do anything that was competitive in nature with, with Bullhorn or any of that. So I had to figure out who I was going to be next and started doing some consulting work. So I started consulting for technology and services companies, really just to figure out what I wanted and try to give some value back to people. Um, and where that quickly evolved to was these companies really wanted my financial models, but they also wanted to operationalize these financial models like, mm. like we did. So I started looking around for software that was available. 
couldn't find anything that I thought was exciting or really fit the bill. Um, we bought licenses to software at, at Talent Rover with one of the, the leading providers of this type of software back in the day. And after nine months of trying to get it implemented, it scrapped it, went back to our spreadsheets. And, you know, I, I saw the same thing, that there was not a really good finance platform for small and medium-sized businesses. Um, and that's when the idea started to form for, for Place, where, you know, what if we can create a highly flexible, adaptive, real-time financial forecasting finance platform for SMB mid-market companies. Um, so then my thought evolved from there. Uh, what else does it need to do? Like one of the biggest problems with forecasting is getting the data where it needs to be. Um, so I talked to a bunch of CFOs and heads of finance and said, where do you spend your time all, all month? And, you know, mostly they said, we spend most of our time and our team spends most of their time copying and pasting data from one system to the next to get it to a place where we can actually do stuff with it. So I wanted to solve that problem with what we were doing. I wanted to connect the flow of data and essentially go from, you know, the original sales lead all the way through collecting cash and back and just eliminate all the administrative stuff in between. It's a very similar concept to what we were doing with Talent Rover of one platform to unify the whole business. So that thought process was already in my head. And then the other thing I wanted to solve with it is what we call democratizing data. Like I never understood this when I was at the bank or when I was with Kelly Services or even at, you know, the smaller companies that I've been at, why everything that finance works on has to be in this magical bubble that no one else has access to. <laughs> Basically, you're waiting 30 to 45 days to get your financials back so you can make decisions on the business where business needs that information in real time. And then on the flip side, finance needs to be able to trust the data coming from the business so that they actually know what to put in their forecast and they can report it correctly. But yet they live in different systems and they're siloed. So I wanted to bring them together and, and bring the finance platform inside the operating platform and unify that so you can collaborate and get the visibility and really just trust data back and forth. And that's where the idea came for place. Um, so then I decided to look at Salesforce platform and said, is there anything on the Salesforce platform that does this? Obviously, I'm familiar with it. And there wasn't. Had conversations with Salesforce. They were super excited about what we're doing in our past relationship and in uh, place was born. So started building it in the uh, end of 2018, started selling it in January of 2020. So, you know, starting a software company right before COVID was a fun little task that we had. <laughs> so you had all the normal challenges of no one knows who you are and we're doing things a little bit differently, like financial forecasting software has been around for 30 years. Uh, but the way we're doing, it's different. So, you know, we had a good year uh, through 2020. It was nice because we were actually able to help a lot of companies think through and plan how they survive through COVID. Um, and that set us up for some really um, exciting things that we're now working on. Mm. What, what, what I love about that story is how, well, firstly, you got the idea from uh, for Talent Rover from when you're doing recruitment. And then you got the idea from Place from when you're doing Talent Rover. So you're kind of like each time you, you solve one problem and you uncovered, you solved your biggest problem with your next business. And then, and then you've seen like in, in, in sort of the COVID era, cash is super critical. I mean, everyone's looking at cash in a weird way. Imagine that's put this right at the top of the agenda. Yeah, I think everyone's looking at cash. And I think um, the way that you've historically looked at how to forecast has changed. Like 
2020 disrupted all of that because you couldn't just compare what we're going to do in 2020 to what we did in 2019. You had nothing to benchmark against because, you know, it's basically what happens if we have zero sales? What happens if everything stops? And that's not something you would ever typically forecast for. So the mindset around forecasting changed, which worked for us because I've always forecast more off of a rolling plan. Like I want to adapt as things go. Um, because I want to take the best advantage of what's happening in the business and happening in the world and pivot my my financial thoughts around that versus just sticking to a static budget that you create. And I think static budgets have their place. It's a good benchmark to see what you were thinking in the beginning of the year, how you did, but you can't run your business just off the budget because you're going to miss opportunity. And that's really the concept of what we're doing is to give you live data, uh, both operational data and financial data so that you can make these decisions real time quickly. And also you can then like disseminate that to the team. Like your marketing manager can actually see not only leads and stuff that are coming in, but what's their budget and what's, you know, what's the ROI and what tweaks could they make in the middle of the month to improve performance versus having to wait for that information to be given. So that's really our goal. But yeah, I mean, um, Talent Rover came because I just didn't understand why the software for recruiting was so terrible. And so disjointed and place came because I, I lived locking myself in my home office on the weekend after I'd been traveling all week, but locking myself in the office all weekend to figure out these forecasts because they were just too important. Uh, it was a big sacrifice um, from personal life. And I know other companies and other people are, are struggling with that same thing. Mm. I definitely hear you. I've, we've, we've all spent lots of time with spreadsheets, more time with spreadsheets than, than we want to. And Trevor, you also step away from that spreadsheet and you come back to it in, in a few weeks' time. Sometimes you've forgotten exactly what's going where and then it breaks. And yes. Or you share it and now you have different versions and whose is the right and whose is wrong. Like, it's just a mess. Yeah. And I, and I imagine also this idea of like real time forecasting, getting that data, particularly in like lean startup methodology and just how we're trying to operate as businesses these days, like less command and control, more agile, more in the moment. You, you need that real time feedback as well. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because we, we partnered with um, a research firm that specializes in this space. And, you know, more than 60% of companies, both big and small, still do all of this in spreadsheets. And, you know, our goal isn't to replace spreadsheets. Everything you do in place, you can easily export into a spreadsheet and do whatever else you want with it. But the process of building the spreadsheet, gathering the data, validating it, making sure you didn't enter something wrong, making sure you didn't break a formula or something like that, that I think is just archaic and just a waste of time for the team. Like I'd rather have our finance people being advisors and saying, here's what the numbers are actually telling you versus spending 95% of their time just getting the numbers gathered and making sure they're accurate. That, that leads nice down to this idea of like, so your, your top tip, your 100 million pound tip, what's the one thing that you've learned from like doing not only one business, but a second successful business on this sort of scaling towards 100 million? What's the one thing you yeah. would or wouldn't do? I mean, uh, the number one thing, I think, regardless of the number, and $100 million is definitely a, a magical number um, to look at, but regardless of the number, if it's $1 million, if it's five, it's 50, doesn't matter. I think you've got to have a financial plan to get there. At least that's how I've built businesses, like the story about Talent Rover and spending so much time on these models and really learning how to forecast cash and learning how to forecast the rest of the financials and you know, looking at how do you plan for... Does it make sense to open in Hong Kong? What does that cost look like to, you know, should we price a deal differently in the UK versus how we price a deal in the US? And what's the long-term impact? And even things just around 
like headcount. Can I afford to hire people? And, you know, what should I pay them and bonus structure, all of that stuff. Like, if you don't really understand your finance and the financial model, and really, if you don't understand cash flow, it makes it really difficult to, to really understand the business. And you don't need to be a CPA or a chartered accountant or, you know, have an MBA in finance in order to do all of this. Um, there's technology that's available now that can help. Um, one advice that I always give to people outside of just understanding your numbers is to spend the time and go through your profit and loss statement with an expert and have them break down, okay, why does it work the way that it works? Why do we book things where we book things? And then do the same thing with cash flow. Um, and I think a big miss a lot of, of early stage founders have is not really understanding cash flow. Cash flow isn't just sending out an invoice and expecting that cash to come in. There's there's nuance to it. Like you know, when do you send the invoice? What's the payment terms? What's the payment frequency? How do you forecast all that? How do you expect it? Do the customers actually pay on time or are they late? Do you do the same thing with your vendors? Do you pay your vendors on time? What do you negotiate for your, your payment structure? And all of that has a real direct impact on cash. Um, and then your ability to make better decisions is what to do with the cash or how to plan for, you know, the unplanned events like a COVID or, or something like that. But understanding these financials is, is key, even if you're not the one putting them together and, you know, being able to catch things that just don't make sense to you as to why something was booked the way it was can have long-term significant impacts. And yeah, I don't, I don't think you need to necessarily be the person that does it every month. Uh, but you should have a review with the person who does and, and be equipped to have the conversation to ask a lot of questions um, to really make sure you understand what's happening. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely, I definitely feel that because when we look at sorry, District 4, when we set up our PL, we've we've changed the order of it so it makes more sense with the underlying structure of the business. Like how you set up your PL is different for different businesses because you're telling a different story. So I think that for me is ultimately what a, what a PL does is you are telling a story both to yourself, to your investors, to your team. And I think understanding what story you're telling is critical. Yeah. And I think understanding what your desired outcome with the business is and that outcome mm. can change. Like one of the questions I always get asked at Talent Rover and I'm starting to now get asked at place, which is a good sign, is what's the exit plan? Like, what do you plan on doing? Um, and usually, you know, there's, in my opinion, there's three things you can do. You can keep the business and continue to grow and be successful and do all of that. That's great. You can go public or you could sell it. You know, going public that that's a long-term plan of how you're going to structure things in the company to be best equipped to do an IPO. But selling the company is the same thing. Like who is going to be your buyer? Who do you think is going to be your buyer? And what do they actually care about? When we sold Talent Rover, the only thing that mattered was top line recurring revenue, our licensed revenue. The All of the time and materials, professional services, all that revenue was irrelevant. Mm. And a lot of that revenue came... Um, with a lot of work internally of being able to support that that type of activity, where in reality, I, I look back on it and I wish we would have outsourced implementation and setup to external firms and have them manage it and, and focus on ensuring that they're giving the right quality to clients versus us doing it internally. We wanted it to do it internally because we saw the revenue coming in from it. But knowing now what I know, 
and knowing that that really doesn't move the needle when you go to exit the business, if that's what your goal is, it wasn't worth the effort and it caused a lot of pain and heartache internally. Um, and we, I think, would have made more money and been far more profitable if we would have done that much earlier. So understanding what the outcome is that you're mm. going for and then how financially, how to equip yourself to get to that outcome as best possible is is foundational for for how you run the business. Well, just, I mean, I, I remember some of those conversations, you and I, I think... <laughs> When it came to implementation, you and I got involved right at the end because there were a few few hiccups. But then I, I remember you like like figuring it all out in the space of like a couple of weekends. And so I can see how that provided personal pain for you. Um, but it did ultimately deliver a very good outcome for us. So thank you again for getting involved at that stage. Um, yeah. And it goes back to what I was saying. I mean, when you make a commitment to a customer, you got to keep it. Um, but then it's looking, you know, what's the best thing for the customer? Like at Place, we don't do our own implementations. Mm-hmm. We also have a very different product where our product, we intentionally designed it so you could set it up and be fully running, fully enabled in three to six weeks because that software that I bought back in Talent Rover to do this, you know, that was a nine-month implementation that no one has time for. But we also then, like, we don't do the implementation work ourselves. We have certified partners that do it. In order to become a certified partner, you have to be a place customer because we want you to, you know, eat your own dog food, if you will. We want you to really understand the product. Um, but professional service firms, good ones, are are amazing at what they do. Amazing at controlling expectations and controlling timeline and controlling costs. So having them do their thing really well actually is more beneficial to our customers versus us trying to do everything for everyone, which we're not that great at. Mm. And, and I really like this idea tied into there of just almost get your your end point in mind, like get your plan, sp- spec it out, go, okay, well, this is this is going to be valuable at this stage. This this might be feel like it's valuable on the journey, but actually let's make that decision now. Let's let's not do that now. Let's have that, that kind of discipline. I think that's kind of hard for entrepreneurs, isn't it? It's kind of like you on the journey. It's like, oh, I could do this. I could do this. Oh, I could do this. But maybe that I, I really like that idea of like almost having your sort of exit PNL and valuation mapped now as a, as a, as a benchmark to go. Okay, well, am I going to do this or not? Depends on whether it fits my end state PNL. Yeah, that, and also you know, use that as your true north, but then. Look, things happen in business and, you know, there's going to be times where you need more cash coming in the door or times where you can be more strategic because you're a bit cash flush and, you know, understanding long term where you want to go, but then also understanding what you can do in the short term to maximize opportunities that come in without doing what I call the, the shiny thing um, or squirrel approach where, hey, this sounds like a good idea. Let's just go do it. And, you know, at Talent River, we tried some of those things and didn't think through them well enough. And it bit us on the butt every time we did it. I learned that lesson, which, you know, has even made me more of a planner um, of, of really thinking through what we're going to do. And, you know, I'm a risk taker. I like taking risks. I think you can't really achieve great things unless you take great risks. But to try to get as much data to validate the risk and what you're entering it will help you sleep at night and, and also give you some guardrails to if if the risk isn't paying off, when do you call it and, and, and change um, mm. versus just going full blown in and making it even worse? Or if the risk is paying off, how, how can you validate that and go more into it and, and really make it happen? Mm. So it's kind of the way you solve that age old conundrum, like, what is being entrepreneurial and flexible versus what is being the squirrel and just chasing out trying to uncover those nuts is kind of like you almost don't know until you start, but actually having the data around it enables you to make a decision quite quickly. Is it a good distraction or a negative one? 
Exactly. And a lot of times, some of the best ideas, people will think you're crazy and people won't get it. And that's good. If people get what you're doing all the time, you've already missed the opportunity, but you still need some type of validation to, to ensure that, okay, this is actually a good idea for you to make that decision and go all in on it. That's another thing. Like if I'm going to do something, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to half-ass it. Um, but that takes a lot of confidence that you know, not only is the idea good, but how do you measure success with it and, and, and validate that as you go? Yeah, I suppose that takes us back to the Eric Riesler concept of build, measure, learn. I mean, the measure part of that's quite important. If you just build, build, how do you learn? <laughs> yeah. And then what do you measure? What's the impact? Like, what are you really trying to, to go? Because, you know, I, I, I like to have as few KPIs for the team as possible because I think if you have too many, then it's, the plot gets lost and people get confused as what really is important. So that's another thing we do with, with place is we wanted to make financials transparent. Like, you know, the business is also ultimately going to get the financial information that it needs to run, but let's give it to people real time. Let's give your sales team financial information about companies that they're either targeting or that they've sold to so they can understand is there more opportunity or you know is the account not going well or whatever or give financial information to your support team so if a customer calls in and they're upset and they want some type of credit or something like that the support agent can actually look at hey what's the financial relationship with this account to be able to make a better determination of yeah let's just give them the refund they're an awesome customer we make a ton of profit from them we don't want to lose them versus being short-sighted and, and not really understanding the full picture. Mm. Brandon, that has been absolutely awesome. <laughs> take take a lot from that, not least sort of start at the end and work backwards. And just, just also that kind of how to get that information in now, like how you can use technology to give yourself that visibility that often you get a month and a half too late. And, a, and you say a lot of like weekend, spreadsheet-based weekends, Death to spreadsheet-based yeah. weekends. Not a fun place to live, but necessary place sometimes. Um, but we're trying to help uh, people evolve from that, and ultimately making you know uh, your team at your company really strategic and thinking versus caught up in in the day-to-day grunt work of just getting stuff processed. And we're excited about where it's going. We're excited about what it's doing for us internally because we get to use the product every day. So I no longer lock myself into my home office every single weekend. I can just log in and see what's up. Awesome. Well, best of luck with it. And uh, I look forward to checking in the future. And uh, you've, you've probably gone past 100 million by the time we next catch up. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully we catch up before that because it's not going to be super quick, but we'll, uh, we'll see where we go and how, how long it takes. Thanks for listening today. And hopefully you've taken away one thing to think about or try. Let me know in the comments if there's something you'd like us to explore in future episodes or just reach out on LinkedIn or podcast at district4.io. Let's keep learning and building great companies together.